it really does come back to how do you define success in life? And I teach the students that I work with and the folks that I interact with. Success is the people we meet in life and the things that we create together. Because none of us, if we're honest, succeed alone. I sure didn't. Studies have shown that trees are social creatures. They share water, pass nutrients, and warn each other about diseases through an interconnected system of roots deep in the ground. Trees know that they are far more likely to survive with the support of a forest community than they would be as an organism trying to survive in the forest alone. This seems like an obvious metaphor. And I think the principle can be applied to our careers as well. When we're looking out for one another, we're all more likely to find success. I think my guest today would agree. Mike Lawrence is the director of the business and finance career community here in the CLS. And Mike is an expert on what we call networking. But after transitioning to Grinnell following a successful career in corporate America, Mike has a unique perspective on the concept. He shares his philosophy on what networking is and how people can most effectively practice it. And spoiler alert, it's simpler than we think. From the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College, I'm Meredith Benjamin. Stay with us. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us today, Mike. It's great to great to have you on. It really is. And I'm excited that I get to be here because we had to reschedule a little bit due to some illness, but I am here and happy to be here with you, Mike. Oh, great. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and glad to be able to finally meet you, Meredith. Let's start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so real quickly, I'm uh, the director of the Business and Finance Career Community. Been at Grinnell just over four and a half years. We set up the career communities a few years ago, and they're really powerful tools for us to help students delve into their career search. So we cover a lot of different areas. I cover business and finance. Before that, I was a corporate executive for two decades, and uh, then I started my own company and sold that off and did some executive coaching for a number of years and then landed in the middle of Iowa at Grinnell for some unknown reason, and I've been here for a little while. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we are lucky to have you and very grateful that you made this home for the time being. So we're going to jump into talking about networking. And I hear from Nicholas that you have some interesting perspectives on networking that aren't necessarily, you know, what you commonly hear about when someone's talking about networking. So you know, can you just start by what is networking? Yeah, it's a great question, Meredith. So a lot of folks think of networking as like going to conferences or handing out business cards or going to events and trying to get as many names as you can and contact those people and get something from them. And my experience in the real world, that just isn't the way it works. As simple as it sounds, it's about making friends. Think about how did you make your best friend in fifth grade? Did you walk up and say, hey, I see you're getting good grades and I'd like to copy you and maybe you could help me out and I could. No, of course not. Right. You had some common purpose or you shared something together and you're like, oh, yeah, you like that. I like Pokemon, too. And here, have one of my nuggets or French fries at lunch. And then you become friends. That's really the basis of networking. It's building relationships. 
And I would say it's in the career area, which is what we're going to talk about, but it's also in life too. I think if you look at it that way, it's certainly networking is not a transactional. Let me make a phone call and get something from somebody quickly, but rather how do I build relationships in the long haul that'll be mutually beneficial? And so why is it something that you or everyone should do? The world is so big and we all have different skills. And I think it's a way for us to be able to leverage what we bring to the world, what we bring to work, what we bring to a career. We just never know the kind of things we can create together. How does one effectively network? You said it's like making friends, but walk us through what that actually looks like. Generally, it's about finding a common purpose or interest. And it is, I think, Meredith, about helping people. While we look at it as it could be transactional, and it will be at times, people will certainly help you and help me. But if we go into it, building the network and foundation, we look at it almost like social capital. So over your career and your life, you're going to build financial capital. You're going to have funds. You're going to have things that you build up. Same thing for networking and resourcing, building relationships. You're going to have that social capital through your life that you build up. So I think as students, since we're talking about students per se, one way to start is to look at what is their network now? And then how can they expand it? And certainly it'll be some of their friends and their parents and their parents' friends and folks at the CLS and things like that. But also there'll be opportunities for them to learn and share in a wider degree. And it comes up in every instance. I'll give you an example of where it'll come up. Internships. Everybody knows how important internships are. I worked with a student a couple of years ago. He was an economics and a theater major, and he was able to land a really great internship on the West Coast at a studio. And, you know, they were doing the filming and the post-production, and he loved it. And he worked in the building where the studio head for the West Coast also worked in that building. And one day, I think he was walking down the hallway or saw him in the cafeteria, bumped into him, and he just introduced himself. Hey, the guy said, oh, come see me sometime. I'd like to hear about your background. And he did. And he went to see him and they started talking. Turns out they both went to small liberal arts colleges. They played football. They had a lot of laughs about that. They met several times over the summer, which is great. And then the important thing that I carry back from that story is not, you know, necessarily how that changed David Summer, but what happened at the end before he left? which was he went to say goodbye to the studio head. And the guy said to him, he said, goodbye, David. Good luck. If I can help you, let me know. You know, you want to come back here next year for your internship or whatever? Absolutely. But he said, I want you to know something. He goes, I probably have 40 interns working in this building. You're the only one who ever introduced yourself to me. So to me, when David came back and shared that, I mean, that was a powerful lesson of just taking the opportunity to reach out and get to know people and learn and listen a little bit. You never know the opportunities one conversation could have. Wow, that's really that's amazing really anecdote. Amazing, yeah. And so I think it it gets to some of the universal skills of building those relationships and creating connections. And you mentioned the difference between career and life building social capital and networking. So I am wondering if you could tell us a little bit about sort of those critical, core, absolutely universally essential things for networking effectively, whether in career or in terms of your personal personal life. Well, I'd say one of the first ones is learn a skill. This is easy for students, right? If you're good at something, people are going to be interested in learning about that. And it gives an easy entree, you know, whether it's you write fiction on the side for fun, or it could be even a corporate skill. And you're able to share that, you know, that'll help you then find some common purpose with people as you go through life. You know, the next time you meet an alumni back on campus and they're like, so what are you doing, Meredith? Like, well, I just learned 
to do this skill and I find it really interesting and they're like, oh, that's interesting too. You know, people in our company do that. Oh, how do they do that? So I think there's an opportunity to lead with what you're good at, what you've learned and share it with others as a sense of you might be interested in this. This might be useful to you. Notice the subtlety there. It's not, hey, I learned this. I'm really great. And by the way, should we talk salary? Are you going to hire me? It's rather, you know, this might be something that could help you and your organization. I think that's a big piece. The second one, I would say learn from others. And this can even apply for younger students that are often like, you know, how do I network and do I need to network? A brief example of this would be one of my colleagues, Mary Jane, runs the health professions. And a lot of the students that are young that want to go to medical school, they think, why do I need to network? I mean, it's not going to get me into medical school, right? It's going to be grades. And yeah, I agree. I, I might argue that, but we'll let that one slide. But certainly as younger students, how do you know you want to be an orthopedic surgeon? Do you know any? Have you talked to them? What is their life like? Well, that's where networking comes in because, you know, they can shadow, they can do volunteer experience, they can do things to learn from others. So I would rank that up there as well. Along the lines of that, one of the key things I would say is learn to listen. I can't overemphasize that. Really listen, like listen deeply, listen to what people are saying and what their words are and their body language and everything. So really listen deeply and ask meaningful questions. And you'd be surprised what that opens up. One of my favorite questions for students when they're building relationships and meeting people is, what advice would you have loved to have gotten when you were my age that you didn't get? You know, on the flip side, Nicholas, you don't want to be on an elevator with me because if you look at me, I say, how are you doing? You're like, good. I'm likely going to not accept that superficial elevator etiquette. And I'm going to ask you something along the lines of why are you good? Really? Tell me about that. So you can use it in a fun way, but certainly I think most people are horrible at listening. We're thinking about what we're going to say in the corporate world. We used to call it reloading. I hear what you're saying. And I'm thinking about my retort because now I've got to influence you. Pay attention to people, listen to what they're saying, reflect on it, and then ask meaningful questions. Another one I might add for students to put on their list is get better at solving problems. If you can solve problems, you're very, very valuable. A fellow student of mine and alumnus of my graduate school is Kat Cole. I don't know if you heard of Kat. Kat is, well, she was president and CEO of Cinnabon. She did that at 32. But what people don't know about Kat is she came from a very underprivileged family. She didn't have money to go to undergraduate school. In fact, she ended up going to graduate school at Georgia State because we were one of the universities that would accept experience in lieu of undergraduate. So she got her first job at Hooters as a waitress, but she listened, she paid attention, she did whatever was asked, and she became great at solving problems. And within two years, she was part of a team of eight people that they sent to Australia to start opening Hooters stores in Australia. And by 32, she was running Cinnabon. So you can start from anywhere if you're a problem solver and you can make a difference, your value becomes invaluable and it just helps you again, build relationships because there's that sense of how can I help you? It sounds to me like one of the challenges that a Grinnellian might face or someone, anybody, you know, our age really is this assumption that somebody who's more experienced, more quote unquote successful you know, more developed in their career, you know, the assumption that they don't care about us, that we have nothing to offer to them. They only have things that could be offered to us. And that because of that almost power differential, that they're not interested in hearing who we are and what we have to offer. And so, you know, I'm wondering about what common mistakes you tend to see in how people approach networking. The first is that perception that like, 
I have nothing to add, or that person is somehow better than me. Yeah, that's just rubbish we tell ourselves, and we need to stop doing that. People are in a position because of things they've done, experiences they've had, and in my world, because of other people that have helped them. I think the second mistake that I see often is starting with something that is difficult or unreasonable in terms of asking. So not being like, how can I contribute? How can I build a relationship? And I see this a lot with young alumni that students reach out to, because if someone graduated two years ago and they're an analyst at a bank in Wall Street and you call them up and you're like, hey, I'm a senior. I want a job. Can you help me get a job? They're going to be like, dude, I've been here two years. I don't hire anybody. I don't have a team. I can't really help you. And you're just going to create anxiety for them. They're going to feel bad. They can't help a fellow Grinnellian. Better off to say, hey, what's your experience transitioning from there? How did you find the job? Do you know anybody in recruiting that you could look up in the global address book and introduce me to that I could get to know? You know, that's a more reasonable kind of ask for help. And that's assuming you already have the relationship. And you can reach out to people cold. I get this all the time. You know, can I write them an email? Sure, as long as there's some reasonable reason or common meaning or purpose that you're writing them. And that's where Grinnell comes in because if they're an alum, then they are a Grinnellian just like you and I are. There's no shame, but do it in a way that is not asking for something other than to learn. It is more effective face-to-face, and I know that's more difficult. We talk like post-pandemic, but even if it can be via Zoom, the latest research showed that six face-to-face networking encounters produce results equal to like 200 emails. Emails are easy to overlook or not respond to, but it is a tool that you can use. And and I, I can't stress enough, being transactional and not understanding the relationship, not understanding the individual is probably the number one mistake. And I think you hit on that, Meredith. For the people that think people are different, we're not the same, you need to find out about people. And you'll realize, wow, the same thing, they kind of have the same struggles we do. They may have higher quality problems, but they still have problems. They still face obstacles, but take a chance to learn to know those people. And I think it'll help. Then you know how you can contribute something meaningful to them. I think that's all really, really useful. And sometimes people like to think about what should you do versus what you shouldn't do. And I think it's important in this case to think about both at the exact same time. There is a huge difference in theory, but in practice, you know, it can be hard to sort of really think about these kinds of things. And I would add, watch your internal dialogue and what you're telling yourself. If it's not helpful, then, you know, I suggest you change it to something that is. I'll give you an example of a student that I worked with on networking. And I got an email one day from an alum at a prestigious investment bank. And he said, I want to talk to you. I got a call from one of your students and asked him, like, why did he call me? Where did he learn that? And he said, you, and, and I want to talk to you. And I thought, oh boy, this should be interesting. What, you know, must've gone off the rails, right? And this guy calls me and he was just like, I'm so impressed that the student from Grinnell reached out to me. And the conversation that I had with this student was astounding. And I'm glad to have had the chance to meet him. So thank you for that. And I was like, ooh, thank God. I thought it was going to go the other way. Like, you know, don't ever have those students call me. But it didn't. So again, you can't underestimate the power of even one conversation and what you bring as students and smart young people to the table. So let's talk about that practice that is so important to do this successfully. We've broken it down by class years. It's just sort of a general way to to help differentiate the kinds of ways in which a a Grinnell student might be networking at different points in their lives, knowing that things are going to vary hugely by industry and giving you enough flexibility to sort of tailor your response to anything you find most pertinent. So with that in mind, how should a first year 
fresh off the block from wherever they are. They've rolled up to, to Grinnell, Iowa, the mean streets. <laughs> the mean streets um, <laughs> And they have done their little tour of the JRC and are feeling great. And maybe they popped into the JCC once or twice, but they don't really know what they want to do. They're sort of floundering, but they're trying to figure it out. How can they leverage the principle of networking in building social capital? That's great. So a a first year, I've got to put the proverbial plug in for the CLS because they pay me. We have an outstanding bunch of exploratory advisors that work in the exploratory career community. You know, we do expect first years to meet with them, but I would encourage them to meet with them early because that's going to be the first thing to understand. You know, they can do things for the student, like help them with doing the Clifton Strengths exercise and help them understand some of their strengths and introduce them to different career paths and things to think about as a first year. And they can be an important part of the student's network going forward. So that really, I I can't stress enough, wander on over to the John Crystal Center and meet with uh, one of our exploratory folks. They are phenomenal. The second thing I'll share with you, I shared with my own kids when they went to college. I've got one in graduate school now and one that's a junior. And I told them that every semester starting that freshman year, I expect them to meet and get to know one staff member or faculty member. That's all. Just one per semester. I was trying to put the bar very low. You know, let's take some baby steps into building networks. But I did explain to them when I say get to know, that doesn't mean going to office hours or attending lectures. You know, that means having coffee, ask about their life. You know, if, if a student wants to get to know me, ask about my life before Grinnell. Where did I come from? Why am I here? That kind of stuff. I mean, really ask those important questions we talked about previously. And then the nice thing about that is they'll meet interesting people. They can add them to their network. They can maintain them. But most critically, by the time they're ready to graduate, now they've had people in their network for four years that know them better and can say, ooh, you're making a hard decision between graduate school and work. Remember when you were first year and we talked about X, Y, Z? Here's my advice to you. And it could be a much higher, much more powerful level of advice because they know you well. So that's what I would suggest to the first years as they start exploring, like, what does it mean to build these relationships? So then, you know, the obvious follow-up is second year comes along, you've got a little bit more solidified interests. Maybe by the end of the year, you've declared your major and you're further along. What changes in terms of the networking process between your advice for first years and your advice for second years? Yeah, since we're talking careers, I think what changes is that the focus needs to start narrowing down. You need to start looking at what are some of the industries I'm interested in and what can I learn about them? You know, there's a great book by Harvey McKay he wrote years ago called Dig Your Well Before You Get Thirsty. This is the well digging time, people. Get the shovel out and start digging because you, if you're going to wait until you're senior again and ask for a job, it's not going to work. But the people you start meeting and building relationships with as a sophomore or second year, they're going to be crucial as you come down the road to finding a job. And guess what? We live in that crazy world where people think you have to have internships and you have to have a ton. And I get parents calling me, what should my kids do for internship in high school? And I'm like, are you crazy? Wait until college. But that second year internship can be very critical in the formation of your career goals and student success. So now's the time I would say to start doing much focused learning and networking and building relationships in areas that are interesting to you. And then we talked a little bit, Meredith, about the skills, learn some stuff that would be valuable that you can then apply to your career area of networking. So if your area is, you know, economics, what are you learning in class and what other skills could you learn that again will help you as you're talking to alumni and other networks. 
And I would say for both first and second years, I would start with alumni because they're very open to hearing from students and helping students. We have some of the greatest alumni at Grinnell College, and we are so fortunate to have them helping our students. And so jumping ahead to third year now, you've hopefully had that critical internship or something close to it. Maybe you've done a map or you've conducted research. How should you go about continuing to leverage those alumni connections while also potentially branching away? Yeah, third year is fun because you start to realize that the world, the real world is looming large over us and things get a little bit real when it comes to graduate school or career and you can start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and you're wondering, is it actually the light of graduation or is that a train coming at me? So yeah, I think it's a sense of you can leverage everything you've done to date, Nicholas. And make sure I haven't, if I haven't mentioned already, make sure you're maintaining those because that's important. So that the work that you did as a first and a second year, don't let that slide. You need to continually be paying attention to your relationships and your network and going back every three to six months and touching base with people. Even if it's a light touch, that would be really important as a third year. You can give updates to where you are and what's going on. And then I would say the other thing is to start using some of your interests to identify that internship then becomes critical. It really is a bridge to career success. In the area that I advise students, business and finance, some of the top companies start recruiting by July of the summer of your junior year. So picture that, you're interviewing before you even started your senior year. So by the time you roll around fall of your third year, you need to be locked and loaded and say, okay, this is the state of my network. What holes are there? Where do I need to get to know people? What changes have occurred in my life and my career interests from first and second year that I can now say, okay, I need to move forward in this direction and I need to build more knowledge and understanding in this direction. And then the dreaded, the dreaded time comes when you're a fourth year and you need to figure out what your next move is. What do you do? How can you say that, Meredith? After everything we've discussed, surely you have an offer in your pocket from your third year internship that you just brought back to campus and life is good and you just don't need to worry. You just need to graduate, right? But one of the most critical pieces is the work that you do that summer in that internship networking. And I don't mean just in that job. You know, if a job is you're managing a theater in Minneapolis, well, what else is going on in Minneapolis that you can learn about that would help you be more knowledgeable and expand your network as you come back to Grinnell in the fall? First thing to do is to work with the CLS folks. That's what the career communities are all about, is that focus kind of help that says we can target certain industries, we can help you. If you're a senior and you're on that, I would say the earlier, the better that you involve that kind of help. And I think you mentioned earlier, Nicholas, you know, professors that you've worked with at faculty can be some of the most beneficial help in understanding good opportunities for students and how to pursue them. And believe it or not, a lot of them have life outside of academia, I would say most that I know, but um, there's a chance to use that to really garner your knowledge too. But by the time you're a senior, it's get busy time, it's go time. And it's too late to be asking for, I need that job. If you're in that place where you haven't done any of the things for the first three years, start doing them now, thinking that it's gonna at least pay benefits by the time you graduate. Because you still have that full year to build relationships, learn, ask powerful questions and listen. And it might actually change what you choose to do. Well, hopefully no one finds themselves in that Not after listening to this episode. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sure there will be many, many that do, but I want to keep a job. So we need to keep some of them that that need our help by senior year. Right, Um, Right. don't get too good at it, guys. 
I hadn't mentioned the programs that we do, but be aware of all the CLS programs. And that goes across all four years because that's a chance to meet alumni. You might've seen we did meet away groups across all different types of alumni. That was a chance where you just get to meet alumni and talk to them. We bring speakers back. We do treks. We do symposia. So there's a lot of opportunities throughout all four years, not just with a focus on networking and getting to know people, but seeing some of the benefits that you would get from networking, which are how do I learn? How do I get more information on a career and make sure it's a good fit? And then how do I pursue being successful in that career? A lot of the things that we're talking about require pretty strong interpersonal skills and require, like, I think a lot of energy of people dedicated towards connecting with other people. And, you know, I think it's plausible that some listeners might be out there thinking like, I just hate talking to people. It's not something that's ever been in my wheelhouse is being extroverted in that way. And how can people who might be less outgoing really find a way to make this happen for themselves in a way that's productive, but doesn't stray too far out of what people are comfortable with and capable of doing? I think that's a great question. And a lot of people think like you have to be extroverted. You have to like want to talk to a million people. You really don't. Introverts can be some of the most effective networkers because of that listening that I talked about. And you're right, Meredith. It is about interpersonal skills and learning to interact with other people. But there's no way around that because even though we have organizations in all aspects of our career lives, whether they're nonprofits or graduate schools or businesses, it's still just people. That always used to drive me nuts as an executive. People would say like, well, your organization is blank. And I'd be like, the organization has no character. It has no personality. We're 53,000 people in a hundred countries. Get to know some of us because you'd be surprised. So I think for people that are really uncomfortable having conversations, I would say, start with something common, start with a common purpose and explore that, see where it leads you. I think we all find ways to make connections, introverts, extroverts. You just do those connections in a different way, and that's okay. You don't have to be the life of a party. In fact, research will tell you most social gatherings or parties, we tend to hang out with the people we know anyway. It's a myth that we need to walk into these big social circles and meet people and talk to anybody and be magically influential. No, it's push yourself to take an interest in something about someone and learn more about it. And then if it doesn't work out or it's not interesting, then they don't need to be a part of your lifelong network. But I do think it's important to have that goal of building it for being a lifelong. We spend a lot of time discussing building relationships and forming those connections for the future without necessarily asking something very, very specific of that person. But let's say you know you want an internship at Google or there is a specific person at a specific company who's hiring a creative marketing person and it aligns with your values, you you want that position. Let's say you're approaching networking from this very specific angle. How do you go about it in a way that results in it being productive without asserting yourself too much? Because it's easy if you want that internship at Google to sort of focus too much and maybe come across too hot, too strong, too intense. So I'll drop a little research on you guys because it's great what you're pointing to. So the research around networking is that the most important and powerful parts of networking are what we call weak ties, not strong ties. So strong ties for us are Grinnell, 
college, you know, if you're a student, young people, right? You place on the softball team. So it's softball and sports. Those are all strong ties. You know, a lot of people, those are your Facebook friends, but who do you know at John Hopkins university? Who do you know from Philadelphia? Who do you know in corporate world? Who do you know in, right? Those are weak ties. Those are people you don't know. Those tend to be the most beneficial for us in terms of growing and the places we want to build our career because they offer opportunities. Otherwise, you would never find if you think about it logically. So I answer your question by saying, how do you get at those? That's what you want, the weak ties. Even for a hot opportunity like that, you want to be able to connect in. And the way to do that, the first step is not just to go to the person at Google. We'll come to that. But the first step is to go to your own network that you've built and put it out there. Let people know. Adam Grant does this. He's a professor at Wharton and he does this with his students. They all have an exercise where they have some requests they want. It can be personal, it can be career, and they all write it on a post-it note, put it on a flip chart. And then they all look at it because they're a group of students in a class together, presumably part of the same network. And then they all volunteer to help each other in areas that they can't. And it's amazing because a student will be like, I want to learn more about maybe being a pilot someday. And another student's like, my dad works in the Air Force. I don't know if he can help, but maybe he can. Let me ask. So I would say the first thing is you're really interested in a certain thing. You've got your focus. Check your own network and let them know that you're looking for help if they can. And that might lead to some of the weak ties that you can't even imagine, the hidden jobs that you didn't even know about, or, oh, I happen to know a vice president at Google. Oh my God, you fall out of your chair, you get back up. You're like, really? I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. We played whatever sport together back at uh, you know Dartmouth years ago. You know, if you don't have that, then yeah, you do the route of reaching out, letting them know what you're interested in and asking them what they can learn and share with you. Again, you're not asking them to fix your problem. There's nothing wrong with sharing. I'm interested in Google. I'm interested in being uh, a programmer like you are and going down that line. Third thing I'd say is immerse yourself in that world. If you really want to work at Google, find a way to get out there. Don't take spring break at Key West or wherever kids are going nowadays. Take your time and money and go hang out by Google. Go to the food trucks that they eat at. Go to the bars that people that work for Google hang out. Listen to them. What do they talk about? What conferences do they go to? What papers do they read? What kind of research do they do? This generation has so much more access to all that kind of information that previous generations never had. And yet we don't use it as effectively as we could. Spring break at Google. Is that, Nicholas, should we do that for spring break next year? I think that's exactly what we should do. For wow, okay. Next year. So I'm like the fun killer now. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I think of all, of all places, you know, if we are going to spend our, our spring break networking, Google's a pretty good, I mean, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen videos of the massage chairs and stuff like that. It looks pretty fun over there. Yeah, I think it eclipses more than just networking. But at the bottom line, what we're joking about is how bad do you really want something? Right. Right. You know, oh, I want to be a great writer. Okay, well, what are you doing about it? Are you reaching out to writers? Are you learning the craft? Are you respecting their journey and what they did? And, and are you following their advice? Are you going, well, no, that sounds too hard. That's going to take time. I don't want to do that. Well, okay, then you may not get what you want out of life. But if you're committed to it and you can find enough people to share with you information and help on how to do it, then you can achieve it. And I think it's about just like you said, lifestyle. Is that something that you're that's going to bring you joy and that you want? And that's critical when we're talking careers, because I meet a lot of students and it's really difficult for them. Quasi funny for me. And I'll be like, why do you want to do that? And they don't really know. 
well, it makes some good money or I've got to get a job. And that's okay for the transition. There's no shame in landing whatever you can. But at some point, you, you got to do the work to dig deep and say, what is my contribution? What was I created to be able to do that's hopefully unique to me? And there may be a lot of different ways for any of us to do that, but get after it. I'm a big believer in not playing small ball. We get one life. Let's like play big time with it. Let's make it as fun and phenomenal and amazing as we can. And by the way, we'll get some work done. Well, I think that would be a great place to end, but I have one more question. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, my (laughs) boss hears that. I'm not sure that'll go over well, but okay. (laughs) We have talked about networking while you're in school, while you're in college, and then sort of out of college. But this is a term I learned from you, which is a lifelong networking plan. And I would like you to tell everyone who doesn't know what that term is, which is most people. Which is me as of right now. What is that? And and what does it mean? And how does one create a lifelong networking plan? So structurally, it's really easy. Just think of it as a group of other people that you can maintain because maintaining, again, it's very important. Even if that means once every two or three years, there's there's people that are in my life group of friends that I don't have to talk to for three years and I can pick up the phone and they'll be there right away. But you have to maintain it somehow. And look at the size. It doesn't have to be 200 people. It can be six. It can be eight. But the power behind it is as you go through life, as they go through life, you live life together. You share experiences. You share things. This could be your roommate from college that you keep in touch with forever. They know you over time and in different ways than other people do, than your spouse or someone you met later in life or your boss. So they can be very valuable in helping you and understanding your life. Structurally, how do you build that? Yeah, here's the good news. It's a lot easier than being a student because naturally, unless you're going to be like throw and like build a cabin and go out and live alone off the lake for three years or whatever, you're going to bump into people. I don't care what job you're doing. You're going to bump into people. You're going to find people. You're going to see people. They're going to be in your neighborhood, whatever. And that gives you an opportunity to listen about them, learn and ask good questions and bring them into your life, draw them into your network and keep them there. When Meredith doesn't keep in touch with me for four or five years, and then she calls or you call Meredith, I'm going to be like, yeah, okay. Don't worry sure about that, Mike. Yeah, not make sure you maintain them. Wow. And this is this is a small note, but, you know, Thoreau, I'm from, I went to high school in Concord, Massachusetts, and I, I went to Walden Pond, and rumor has it his mother came and washed his clothes every other week. Uh, while he was, you know, in the woods living deliberately. So we do all interact with people, even Thoreau. See, and that's an example. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But now I have someone that I'm going to pull you into my network and you're going to be my Thoreau expert. So. <laughs> I got you. I got you. No, I, think, <laughs> I think like the general lesson that I'm taking is it's, it's not just strategize really deliberately about who you want in your network, but also be a person who other people want to maintain a relationship with. Like, I think it's just like the implicit message is like, be a good person, be a good friend, be a good worker. Don't just kind of look around and see who do I want, but, you know, be somebody that other people want. And so the last thing that I'm wondering is what questions haven't we asked? Is there anything else about networking that you feel like is really important that people know? Exactly what you're saying, Meredith, I think rings true and it can sound kind of Pollyanna-ish, but the research backs it up. So if anybody in the audience is questioning that, 
I encourage them to read Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, because he did the research behind it. And they classified people into three categories. Those that are sort of takers, like I'll get from you whatever I can as quick as I can. That's all I care about. There's a middle category I call quid pro quo, which is sort of like, hey, I'll do a favor for you, Nicholas, but you owe me. And then there's givers who are just like, yeah, how can I help? What can I do for you, Meredith? I think I can help with that. And they looked at the research and the folks that were givers, by every measure, money, happiness, security, sense of well-being, health, they far outstripped the other two categories in all measures of success in life. So I would say, one, check out Adam's book. He's an organizational behavior psychologist. He's doing some phenomenal work. The second thing I would say is if you don't have the skills and you're uncomfortable and some of this seems foreign to you, now's the time to learn as students. Reach out to anybody at the CLS. I'm certainly available for all of them. We have this handshake system. They can go on and make appointments with us, but come in and talk about it and say, Mike was talking about stuff. What can I do or how can I get started? And one thing I'll point them to is almost every winter break, I run a class called a masterclass on networking. Anybody can sign up for that, any major, any year. I do it on that because I figure most students are kind of available. You might be doing stuff, but you're not having a a heavy academic loaded. And we meet repeatedly over a couple of weeks and we really get into the finer points that we've had a chance to talk about. And we even spend time one-on-one building their own skill base because we have time to do that over the break. So I would say, look for that in terms of one of the many CLS programs that they can turn to, but there's a lot of programs they could go to that would help. So if you haven't figured this out already, Mike is the person you should talk to, but don't everyone go, go running to him because we want, we want to keep you, uh, we want to keep you as a, as a well-guarded, well-guarded secret. Yeah. Uh, well, I think if they listen to your podcast regularly, they're going to have amazing resources beyond just me and networking for sure. But I think true. this podcast hopefully will give everybody a start that they can build on. And we're a small place. I'm used to bigger universities. So at about 1,800 to 2,000 students, I think there's an opportunity for anybody to come in and yeah. Yeah, I'll make myself available in any way I can. Well, that's really wonderful. And we're really grateful to you for that and for making yourself available for us right now yeah. to do this, to do this episode. Yeah. Well, you guys have a great <laughs> podcast. I, I've listened to all the episodes and uh, it's definitely in my go-to playlist. So Yay! keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Mike. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College. This episode was produced by Meredith Benjamin. Our executive producer is Katie Kriegel. Find us online at goingforthgrinnell.com. Follow us on Instagram at goingforthpodcast and on Twitter at goingforthpod. Listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Go forth, Grinnellian. See you next time on Going Forth. Going Forth.